Hello and welcome to Last Week on Earth with Gary. This week, your host is Gary founder Michael Coran, and his guest is Teresa Kushner, founder of Business Data Leadership. They're talking all things data. It's gotten a new lease on life lately because suddenly we seem to learn that you can't do AI well if you don't have quality data. But most companies still don't value data enough to provide governance and programs that maintain its quality. As a result, they don't know what the value they have. For over 25 years, Teresa Kushner has managed data between business and IT, ensuring that businesses such as IBM, Cisco Systems, VMware, Dell, and NTT Data use the value they have in their data. Teresa will introduce us to the Data Leaders Manifesto and some of the data movement efforts that are happening worldwide to ensure that data is valued. Enjoy. Well, Teresa, thank you very much for joining our podcast. We have been in touch uh, for um, Almost a year now. We, uh, yeah. we we've seen each other in in um, in Waterloo in Canada right. in September. Uh, what have you been up to since then? Uh, since then, I've been up to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I uh, was I went last year at the beginning of July to become the leader for the Innovation Center in at NTT Data in North America, and led that team to sort of coalesce around what kinds of things we can do to be forward thinking in the marketplace. Digital twin, digital humans, all of those things that we were talking about before when we met last year were becoming reality. And we were starting to see how things like chat GTP and all of the other kinds of tools that are AI based were making a very big difference. Mm-hmm. So that's that being said is at the end of the fiscal year, this last year at NTT Data in April, I left the company so to form my own company. Because one of the things that I'm seeing is that we have a lot of technology and a lot of capability built around artificial intelligence. But artificial intelligence depends upon data. And that's the one area of the organization that's most often overlooked and neglected. And yet we're expecting that this miracle called AI will make will bring out all kinds of analytics and will tell us where to go but the problem is you didn't collect some of the data you needed to be able to do that to begin with so well uh, already the very first intervention raises a lot of <laughs> questions especially the the question about whether data can tell us where to go but I, I'm, I'm sure we'll get we'll get to it later in terms of bringing data on the table if, if that's your mission at this point, what does it mean in practice? I can imagine doing that from our side, uh, from Global Arena Research Institute side. So I can imagine the, the challenges and, and, and you know, the, the, the approach to it. Uh, but how do you see that? I mean, what, what's, yeah. what, what does it mean in practice? Practically, it means that you, that each organization needs to start at the top. Somebody at the top needs to say, this is important. And by saying this is important, that means they also fund it and they organize around it. A lot of times what happens is that data gets sort of lumped into, because it's messy and yucky and nobody wants to talk about it, it gets pushed into the information technology area, into IT. And IT people don't know what to do with data. They do applications and networks and systems. They're not used to dealing with data especially when it comes to processes that create that data. So what we have to do is that we have to get people energized around it. Let's face it, 
since 2012, there's been an analysis of assets reported on company assets that companies report in their their annual reports. And it's assets, soft assets like information assets have gone from like 12% to 29% in a decade. So assets are important. I mean, the only thing that Google really has as an asset is all the data that they have collected over the years. It's a huge asset and look how they're valued. But a lot of companies, especially small companies, think that it's really okay to have their data managed by someone else when they should be using that data for themselves. Um, a lot of companies use paying pay systems where they may or may not be able to pull that information back in for analysis so that they can do something with it to guide their business. And they make decisions very early in the game about how to put data together that affect the long term. And so what I'd like to do is go into a company and talk to the leaders about what they are actually trying to do with that data, or if they even noticed that it was information at all. I got, I was really intrigued this morning that um, the government in the U.S. has decided that the government cannot talk to the social media companies. They cannot govern the social media companies. Well, that's kind of interesting in that if they don't govern what they say, then we get a lot of disinformation and more important, misinformation. And there is a difference there. So we are going to have to look at data in a much different way, a completely different way. And people don't understand that. Um, marketers are using it. Uh, salespeople are using data. Everybody's using that data, but they may or may not be using it in the right way. And they may not be getting the most value from them. Um, if if you talk to you know uh, company X Y Z, do you find what kind of resistance do you find uh, when when you try to mm. make the argument that that this is one of the only ways to actually um, propel some future growth? Maybe not at this time, but definitely in in few years to come. You know. It's really kind of interesting. Um, when you pull together information and you put it in a report, everybody thinks that information is it. That's the final end-all, be-all. But the minute that somebody sees something in that report that doesn't look right, and I've seen this a thousand times, a sales guy comes in and says, wait a second, that number you have for me in this month is not right. Because mm -hmm. I know specifically I did this. That's sort of the chink in the armor. The minute that somebody starts to doubt the little thing, then they start to doubt everything. And I think that's why data is so important to begin with, is that process that goes from creation to use has got to be managed the entire mm -hmm. way. And people have to pay attention or else mm -hmm. you get those little chinks in the armor and then it starts to fall about. It, mm -hmm. it just frays and you can't, you can't, you can't control it. That's why data governance has gotten such a big name, is that everybody's trying to govern the data, but nobody knows what that means. Most people think it means I've got to police it in some way. No, it really means what governing means, which is to get involved. Everybody needs to get involved in mm -hmm. managing the data. That's what governance means. We, we have been working on a project with Gary 
trying to understand the, the motivation to digitalize in the case of micro and small small enterprises, not even medium enterprises. And it's if we talk to the companies, you basically get sort of a blank stare saying <laughs> what why well I mean I have been selling flowers for 30 years. Why why should I do things differently? Is that something that you that you encounter? Absolutely all the time. Why should I look why should I look? I'm very successful doing what I'm doing. That's the absolute worst client to deal with because think of how much more successful they could have been. And, you know, we have lots of statistics. I belong to a group. I sit on the board of a group called the Data Leaders. And the Data Leaders are a worldwide group. In fact, most of the board members are from Australia. They Mm -hmm. look at data, but they look at it from a leadership perspective. What should leaders know about it to make it useful to them? And that's that's what we've been doing with the manifesto, for example. Can you talk about the manifesto a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. The manifesto was created in 2017 by a group of people that were very interested in making sure that data got on the agenda of CEOs and CFOs and people that could make a difference in the organization. Since then, We've had over 2,500 people sign it online, and it's been translated into over 20 different languages. So that we're trying to get the, this worldwide attention to the fact that data is an important asset. And if you're not managing that data well, you are ignoring your assets, just like you're, you could ignore your financial assets, or you could ignore the physical assets that you have as part of a company. We don't want you to do that. We want data to be very important in your asset inventory, for example. And the manifesto brings that out. Um, A lot of people look at data as something that's not, you know, I'm not supposed to manage that. Somebody else is, Mm -hmm. but I need to use it. That's the only time it gets interesting is when someone says, well, I've got to know something. And then the data becomes part of that know. I will make a little uh, pop culture uh, sideway here. I don't know if you've ever watched the British uh, TV show Peep Show, or there was even in in in. Uh, All in the time. Oh, okay, cool. Let's send here. But also in the very popular TV show Friends, uh, one of the main characters are working with data, and they are both portrayed as as the most boring. Um, most boring uh, people in exactly, the exactly exactly. So there is even a culture uh, around, or has been a culture around around data science that it's like it's 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 the most uh, unenviable thing to do. Do you think this is changing? I, you know, I think that when we started off in the pandemic and um, artificial intelligence started to take hold, data scientists sort of got a new name. You know, they there was a real push and I saw it everywhere. Every company wanted to go hire their own data scientist because that was the slick data kind of guy. Well, you know, I think we're seeing the down. In fact, what's interesting is that my people who are that are recruiting on the West Coast are seeing that all of the data scientists that uh, that they got laid off the last time the 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 tech industry decided to take their people and to dispense of them. The data scientists were the first to go. 
And I think that's well, simply because, yeah, that was interesting. They hired a lot of them and then they let a lot of them go. Hmm. And I, I think it's because they didn't know what to do with them once they got there. And let's just face it, the first thing a data scientist is going to say to you is, what data am I using? And if that data is not available, no data scientist in the world wants to spend their time pulling it together for a company. And that's what they end up doing, is that, what, 25% of their time usually, if not more, is dedicated to finding the data, making sure it's right before they create an algorithm that does anything with it. One thing that we are sort of one of the prime pillars of what we do at Gary is try to link or not try is to link, um, let's say, in-house data with external structural mm. statistical data or even satellite data. Quite honestly, I don't know if this is a thing or let me put it differently. What we try to do is sort of to de-silo uh, data that are that are within the companies. And we feel that, that by putting... Uh, in-house data out there and, and link it with other uh, other data sources that it, that's that's in another yet another uh, step. Is that something that um, oh, might yeah. be uh, useful, or is that do you see that approach that's, as a sort of that is extremely useful? I've been doing that for decades. Is trying to get information from the outside that relates to the information that you have internally. I mean, the very first and most basic thing is that. When you have a customer, you usually collect their name, their address, their phone, the vital, you know, small pieces of information. But if you really want to do something with that customer, you have to collect additional information. What are they doing on the web? What, uh, what kinds of sites do they go to? Um, what is, how big is the company that they belong to? What's the revenue? You don't get that normally. And so you might need to link that to outside data to sort of make your record of your customer much more robust. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's become very popular Mm -hmm. for companies to do exactly that, to create uh, data sources that will augment other data sources. For example, Dun & Bradstreet in the United States is... That's they've made an entire career and company out of doing exactly that, of collecting financial information most prominently on every company to tell you whether this company is going to be able to pay its bills or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's that's really a very, very important thing to do. And as we get more information like streaming data or um bio data or any other kind of data that we have out there connecting it and linking it is the most important thing we can do. And that's what some of this AI activity is doing is that it's actually pulling all of that data and looking for patterns and looking for things that can, it can surmise or predict out of the data. Funny because I I just, the next point I wanted to talk uh, about is the, uh, is the predictive or projecting capacity of data, uh, data science. First question, have you ever been like really deeply disappointed by 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 some predictive analytics that just blow, blew up and didn't work at all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the, you'll love this one. One of the, the exercises we did at Dell was to do an artificial intelligence on uh, predicting some things in the service area. And we knew that 
what we were doing was looking at data as it was moving. So we had a when we created our um, data source that we were going to actually do the analysis on, it, it became static data. And we got these great results, you know, 78% it was going to actually change the world. Then we put it into production. And what we discovered was that when the data moved and it moved at a rapid pace, we didn't have an algorithm that was keeping up with it to predict it as it went each way. Oh, oh. And so, you know, there's all, all kinds of things you can learn from the kinds of activities that you put together. In other words, the data, how are you going to really analyze the data? And this is, a, this is the thing that I constantly face with customers is getting them to define exactly what they want to do. Yeah. When yeah. you get this result, yeah. what are you going to do with it? How are you going to make that, that result change your business? And that question, if you don't have a clear answer to that question, all the data management and all the analytics in the world is not going to be helpful. So I, I don't want to get all geeky here, but uh, one of the dilemmas uh, digging deeper into the, uh, let's say, predictive uh, power of data mm -hmm. analytics, uh, one of the dilemma that we're facing is that uh, we were able to create fast and relatively reliable models, um, <clears throat> but using sort of more of a black box approach that, 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 that sort of, you know, we would, uh, we would let the model search for all kinds of available data, come up with several models, and then we would decide which works and how. But there's very little analytical value in that because we don't really know what are the relationships among the data. And mm -hmm. another approach that we take is try to sort of prescribe uh, based on field knowledge what the model should look like. Do you face this sort of dilemma or do you have any answer uh, how to deal with that? That that dilemma comes up quite a bit, but I think again, this is the problem: is that we have business leaders that don't necessarily know how to manage or what to do with information once they get it, mm -hmm. um, and if they're not involved in helping you figure out the algorithms or what the algorithms are going to do or what the, more importantly, what the algorithms are going to produce, then it's not helpful uh, at the end of the day to have an algorithm that creates an answer for something that you don't have a way of seeing whether that answer is mm -hmm. going to be appropriate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you would stay on, on rather on, on the side of let's say more complicated or more time consuming approach but not the, the the fast rather fast paced approach of sort of black box i don't i know this is not the right word for it but i, I i'm afraid i don't have any better word for that um, <laughs> so the transparency and the let's say the analytical value is something that you would um, uh, that you would appreciate more than than, than easier way of of uh, creating the, the models yeah i think so yeah. okay well, that's that's well, that's fair. That's fair. I would like to move back to 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 your experiences with the companies. Are you when you're making the argument that that a uh, substantial data science can really help the company to to grow and prosper? Mm -hmm. And let's put aside the fact that a lot of, at least in in you know here in the Czech Republic or in Central. Europe, uh, a lot of people would say, "Well, we're happy where we are. We don't need to grow. I'm I'm really happy where I am." So let's 
let, let's let's put this lack of motivation aside, and I completely understand that. Uh, and um, uh, what I mean, are you able to somehow quantify for the customer or for the client, um, or how would you be able to quantify the 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 value? Of, of a more um, more thorough approach to, to data analytics or, or, or data governance rather? You know, that's a really good question because one of the things that I find is that if, you, and this is a primary prerequisite for dealing with people with data, is that you need to find people within the organization that are curious. Curiosity mm-hmm. is the major absolutely major requirement for dealing with data. Mm. They have to be curious about what data could create, where the data is, how it could be managed. They have to they have to have some questions of their own that you think data can answer. And mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's kind of where it starts. Um, so if you have a company that's saying to you, well I'm I'm fine. Look at this. I'm creating, you know, I'm Got, I'm meeting what the board requires of me. I'm doing fine. Well, then you don't have anybody who's curious about what could be managed mm. in the company or what could be better. And that's where you really have to go in because everybody's got a problem of some sort. Now, the problem is, is that those problems don't get outlined as data problems. They come in as, I'm not selling enough. My product doesn't seem to appear. Um, it, my product's not appealing to the company. Uh, I have an over, I have an expense issue. You know, they come in as problems. So then you have to break those problems down to see what it is that data can contribute to that problem or make people mm-hmm. understand it better. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. a lot of times they're not thinking about the data. They just have the problem, and mm-hmm. that's where you start. And if they're curious about how it can be solved, then you have an end. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very good, very good uh, point. And uh, again, from, from the practical point, and then we, uh, we will move um, uh, further. If, if, you're, if, if you find the right uh, curious person um, mm-hmm. and, and, and you get them on board, you know, let, let's, let's, let's simplify. So let's say that there is predictive, analytical, press prescriptive, some sort of modeling, simulating value in, in data science. Uh, what is it that the client would hear or, or would listen to the most? Um, you know, what? Uh, so, so is it the projections or is it simulation or is it some back um, uh, back analytics? Um, or, or is it even possible to, to discern these, these uh, dimensions like that? You know, that's pretty interesting. I... Um... I think customers are always interested in the prediction side of data, mm-hmm. okay? Because mm-hmm. pr- prediction says, where where can I go? So sort of like the crystal ball, I really kind of want to understand where I'm headed. Um, but I will tell you that a lot of times, and I, I've seen this more times than I want to count, is that data people create reports. They create great reports and they can tell you everything about what's happening in the company and the business. And then you get an executive who goes, I can't, I don't know what's happening here. I look at this report and I don't understand one word of it. Mm -hmm. So there becomes this issue of how can you tell the right story with the data? Mm -hmm. And again, it starts Mm -hmm. back to 
what was the problem we were trying to solve? And how is this data telling me a story that I can then take forward and solve? That's the most important thing in this analysis of data and getting someone involved with it. And prediction, you're absolutely right. Everybody wants to know, what's my, what's my prediction for the next quarter? How much am I going to sell? Which product and which area is going to be the biggest? You know, they love, they love that. So the prediction is wonderful. Um, but prediction usually only goes out as far as you've got data to provide runway for that. Mm-hmm. I've been a lot of times, I've gone into companies and they go, oh, I want to predict, I want to predict. Well, how much data have you collected? Well, I've got, I've got a quarter. I've got a quarter's <laughs> worth of data. Can you help me predict? Okay, I can probably predict next week with that data, but I can't predict the next six months or the next year. Tell me how far out you want, and let's start looking at collecting the data to make your predictions available. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, too, and I've seen this more and more, and this is, comes back to your point about augmenting data, is that we go into companies and we say, okay, we want to predict. Great. Well, we've got this data source. Okay, now, this data source contains names of companies, but it doesn't necessarily connect those companies to the products that we've sold across a thousand lines of business. So how, what, what am I going to predict that they're going to buy? How am I going to make that possible? I need to know something about the companies that are purchasing, you know, their size, their industries, you know, all the people they have, their revenues. And that's when you have to go in and connect the outside data so you can provide a more accurate prediction. Yeah. And again, too, you've got to have a lot of you've got to have a lot of data to predict farther out. That's that. Yeah. And then that's exactly why I mentioned that we're trying to sort of use the external sources, even even governmental statistical data. I, I was. I was really mesmerized by the the volumes of data that, for example, Eurostat is gathering at a very regional level. So, so there are yeah for each region you can get up to two hundred thousand variables. Yes, you know which and <laughs> yes. that is a wealth of data. It goes back to 2010, 28, You know, sometimes fourteen. The the problem is is obviously the, the the frequency of the data being gathered. So, so sometimes it's quarterly, sometimes even yearly. Uh, but yeah. but that's that's a way that we're trying to uh, navigate around that, that, that problem. Which brings me to another question, uh, because with this approach, what we are trying to build is the, the sort of what we call the digital twin of the social and oh. globalized world. And you mentioned- Oh, that's digital. clever, yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned digital twins. What is your experience with digital twins? Digital twins are very, very helpful in spaces like manufacturing, where I've got, I need a digital representation of a motor that's sitting on a factory floor. How can I predict through digitization what's going to happen uh, with that motor? And that that's very, very helpful. In fact, um, augmented reality can help you with that as well, as well as the digital twin. What we've seen with digital twins. And we, we started at NTT an experiment to look at a digital, uh, a digital environment, like a metaverse, for example, mm-hmm. and to be able to put into that metaverse a digital human that could interact with the metaverse as though we wanted them to interact in real life. 
So think about this. I have a hospital emergency room and I can create a metaverse of that hospital emergency room. And then I can put through virtual reality, I can put people, real people, in that emergency room and have them interact with each other as emergencies come through the door. What I can also do is put a digital human in that environment that can watch what everyone is doing and actually help direct activity in that environment. So I could have a digital head nurse that Mm -hmm. is actually coordinating everyone in the ER so that you actually, you as human being get trained on what happens when all of a sudden an emergency happens and 600 people come through the front, the door of the emergency room. How are you going to triage it? How do you get people? What kinds of things come in? You know, it's an incredible environment for working with um, predictions and helping people understand what's going to be in that environment. So those are the kinds of things that we were doing at NTT Data from a digital twin perspective, trying to make sure that people understood that digital twins are not just in for a manufacturing line, that they could actually be for humans and have digital twins of humans do things in the environment. We have just uh, yesterday, we, we, uh, we got back from an amazing summit in Berlin uh, it was a summit of climate scientists who are trying to put together various digital twins of the um, of the earth, essentially, of the climate. Mm. And one of the key issues, it seemed to me, I mean, me being a social scientist, one of the key issues that, that kept resonating was how to link the, the physical world mm-hmm. with the social and human world. Is, is, that, is that something that, that you come across a lot? Yeah. What do they call it? They call it, it's, they mix up physical and digital, physical, whatever it is. There's oh, a combination. Okay, I haven't heard that. There's actually a word for it. Okay. There's actually a word for it. Okay, cool. You know, one of the things that we started looking at too is, you know, in this, in the physical world, how do people interact? And as a social scientist, you'd be very interested in that. So if you put people into a metaverse, You can watch them interact as human beings in a digital environment, but you can also digitize their actions and have a digital human or a digital twin of them interact as well. So the world is becoming, it's becoming a mixture of digitization and within physical spaces. I just, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of all the things that you can do with that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting that you digitize the world, the globe itself, to see what people's, what interactions are going to happen. You can predict climate change. You can predict how the climate is going to be based upon what we've seen so far, right? Yeah, that's exactly the goal. And the goal beyond that wow. is that see, to see how... Uh, the changing environment will affect uh, the social con- and economic and political conditions, which is something really... So uh, that's kind of interesting. So you could, if, since you've got a model like that, you could introduce into that model things that you think might change the environment for the better and see how much of it 
and how rapidly it would take effect. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's one of the, the key points, exactly, that there is definitely a very, very long way to that. And also, yeah. and also th that brings me to another topic that I wanted to cover, which is more probably philosophical or normative, um, because, um, you know, the sort of, the sort of awe uh, or mesmerization that that, uh, that that people are looking at the technological progress, it's it's and and you know it better than me. Um, it's nothing new. I mean, already in the early nineteenth century, there were there are people that who thought that by applying the, the the methods of of natural science, the society will get better, and obviously it did not. Rather, it generated a, a big backlash in the forms of nationalism and so and so on. Uh, do you see signs of of similar backlash? Or, or, or first question would be: Do the people in the United States, does the society in general, is it aware of of these massive changes of how we're looking at the world and and uh, through the data or or, or how the world is becoming di digitized? You know, that is such an interesting question, and I'm not sure I can answer for the entire United States, but well, I know oh, sure. that one of the things I know that one of the things that is still prominent in the U.S. is that there are people who don't believe that climate change is act, is an actual reality. Um, I think that it's get those people are getting less and less, but we do have some very vocal climate deniers. Mm -hmm. And um, that creates a problem because that, as a social scientist, you'll appreciate, you know, the voices that get amplified with the Internet are the voices that are most persistent and that are that create uh, that create the most uh the biggest bang within the uh, organization or conversation, they those voices get repeated. They get picked up and get repeated. And I'm not sure that the scientists, and this is a problem I see with data scientists as well as just scientists, is that you have got to be able to get to ordinary people who mm. don't understand the science that you're talking about. Yeah. Mm. And in my entire career, that is what I've always tried to do, is ordinary people need to understand what we're doing. Because if they don't, they can't help. They can't do the things that are necessary because, first of all, they don't understand why, and they don't understand what would be required of them. Mm -hmm. So we've got to start telling a story that's why Greta Thunberg is pretty interesting, is that she got a lot of attention for climate because she was so young. But she's talking, too, in a very simplistic way. And that's what we need to keep doing. Um, we're not necessarily good at explaining the data that we get behind all the information, how it was collected, why we think it's important. Um, and without that, People are going to live their lives. They're going to go buy their gas guzzling pickup trucks mm -hmm. and they're going to keep doing exactly what we have done for years. They're not going to change unless there's information they can relate to. I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm sort of skeptical in this regard that, that, that we <laughs> be able to ever, I'm, I'm more on the side of, 
trying as much as we can, but but not expect too much in that. Uh, and I don't mean yeah. it critically because because uh, I mean we're humans. And <laughs> uh, yeah. let's, let's let's turn the page and maybe um, even graver question, and that is that I um, I feel more and more that that the uh, that the cards have been pretty much dealt already in in terms and I'll, I'll try to explain explain myself uh, so let's say that one of the one of the biggest trends is now obviously um, uh, pushing data analytics into cloud computing and you basically oh, yeah. have only very few corporations uh, that that uh, globally and be it China and especially in the United States um, do you think that that one this this sort of I wouldn't call it monopolization, but in a way, monopolization. It's not a monopolization, but but um, uh, structure. You know, the creating a, a very solid structure of the players. Is that something that can be uh, broken up yeah. or should be broken up, or is it for decades to come that th those players will simply be dominant? I know that we cannot project you know the the past experiences yeah. into the future but is it harmful the, the should we push for more democratization of even the cloud computing and and, and these you know that is kind of what web 3.0 sort of promises us mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. that web web 3.0 promises us that we get control again of the data that we have our own mm -hmm. data Because let's face it, the Chinese version of Amazon and the Chinese and Amazon itself and Google and Microsoft, you know, they all have more data than God. And mm. they can they can do things with that data that ordinary people can't. And we're gonna be we're gonna be the victims. It's not the bad word, but we're gonna be the users and the the people that get affected by that data. And let me, let me explain why that might be, is that one of the things in the U.S. that's very predominant, although it's not in Europe, is the, the cost of medical care and how insurance companies provide for that. The answer to how we solve this problem is probably in the data that's being collected by all the medical companies and all the pharmaceutical companies and everything else around the world. But it's how you get access to that data and how you, how you actually use it that makes a difference. And right now, you said it earlier, a lot of the data that we need in the world is siloed and kept captive by large corporations or kept captive by organizations and institutions that want to use that data specifically for their own, their own purposes. So if Web 3.0 comes in and provides us a capability and a way to control our own data, that disrupts everything that's out there. Because right now it's highly dependent upon these big data sources managing and creating opportunities in the way that they do. Um, I'm I'm sort of anxious to see how the new world of the Web 3.0 might work. Mm. It will tend to disintegrate some of the things that we have, uh, the big cloud computing capability. I actually, too, think that cloud computing is going to come back to some place in the middle. 
I've seen lots of corporations move their data to the cloud and then all of a sudden discovered that it was costing them twice as much to manage in that environment as it was before. Yeah. Uh, well, so you, you sort of preempted one of my last questions because the 45 minutes flew by too quickly. And that was, where do you see the data science in five or 10 years? And I, I guess you, you pretty much answered that, but is there anything you would like to add to, on that point? Yeah, five or ten, five or ten years out. Um, you know, the thing that I see from data scientists that they need to get involved in more is they need to get involved in the security of the data that they are working with. And data scientists don't often consider that. They look at all of the data that's out there and they get so excited that they can draw conclusions from it. They can manage it, they can look at it, they can, they can predict, they can simulate, they can do all kinds of things, but they forget that they are using someone's personal information. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they're not very secure about mm -hmm. what they're using. I think that's one of the things that data scientists are gonna have to get better at. Security is a security is a very big deal, uh, and we're not managing it very well at all. Well, that's a question that we haven't touched at all. And um, well, why not to, to to make another podcast later? Uh, because security <laughs> that's that's even that's a thing that that is everywhere. I think that the book uh, Nudge. Have you read Nudge? I think that's a very interesting concept. Is that it's not just the security anymore of your financial information or data about you, but it's the security, it's the security of the information that's used to nudge you in a particular way. Mm -hmm. You know, constantly putting messages in front of you that direct you to do particular things or buy particular things. That's the new kind of world we're living in. And that kind mm -hmm. of security means that I, as an individual, need to decide what my limits are. How much mm -hmm. information am I going to share? Where does a company overstep it? Theresa, it was such a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next one. Our guests are experts on AI, climate, globalization, the economy, and much more. Learn a little and be entertained. If you want insights into challenges and decisions you and your business are facing, Gary Big Data Analytics are of unmatched complexity and accuracy. Whether your questions are on the green energy and digital transition, trade and supply chains, or political and security related, contact us for a consultation and see how you can optimize your decision making, how you can know what you need to know. This has been Last Week on Earth with Gary. Until next time, have a great day.